Hello, Tom Tilly here. Welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 25th of June. Later in the show, men have dominated leadership roles in business, but new data reveals that the more women in leadership, the more money. Right now, it's a big welcome to Annika Smethurst, who spewed on the bus on the way home from Sydney. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. Yes, I did. (laughs) Well, last time we spoke, you'd been in Sydney for Q&A. We discussed the tough questions you got, and you were meant to fly back to Canberra, but you had to get a bus because of the coronavirus. Yes, COVID makes uh, travel pretty sexy at the moment. Got temperature checked getting on the bus by the bus driver using a bit of power there. And then about halfway along, I thought, I do not feel too good. I do get car sick and... Sure enough, it wasn't the best trip back to Canberra. Oh, did they check your temperature at the end? (laughs) No, thank God. It was awful. Straight to bed. All right, let's get into the big news stories of the day. Yes, the government is finally chipping in to help music festivals and the arts get back on their feet. Bit of faithless there to celebrate. Um, This comes after months of campaigning, finally some help for the arts after Scott Morrison met industry leaders and artists, including Guy Sebastian and Mark Vincent last week. Over a million people have lost their jobs. Hundreds of thousands of these people are Australia's artists, musicians, actors, authors, photographers, and the many more who work in Australia's creative and entertainment industries. The government's going to unveil that $250 million rescue package today, and it is for the broader entertainment sector. It's something Scott Morrison's flagged for a while now, and look, the main bit of it is $90 million, and that's going to fund grants of between $75,000 and $2 million, which will be available from next month to provide capital to put on new festivals or concerts or tours once we get over the coronavirus. We've been looking closely at the entertainment industry as well. So we've gone from the big big broad strokes of job keeper and job seeker but as time goes on we'll be able to narrow it in and focus more on those sectors which need that longer term support. Yeah and this sector has been hit really hard. Scott Morrison acknowledged Annika that this is one of the first hit and hardest hit sectors but it seems like one of the last sectors to get a big support package. Yes look a lot of people in the sector not a lot but some will have been eligible for job keeper so if your business has gone down by a certain amount you get it anyway. The problem with this sector is a lot of people are casuals and they just weren't getting it or they rely on contract work. So they needed a specific program for them. Yeah, and a lot of the work is around specific events as well. So, you know, future festivals, future productions, they won't be happening without this kind of support. So those casuals wouldn't be employed again once things get going. And the other question, I guess, here is whether JobKeeper will be extended past September for a lot of these arts workers. Look, it might not be extended in the form we know it is now, but they have flagged extra support for those industries that are just keep going to get smashed. And that's really tourism or maybe entertainment, travel, those ones that just won't be able to get back on their feet until we're allowed in really big crowds or people can come back in from overseas. Yeah, one of the other stories that has a political dimension are the job cuts at the ABC. We heard the announcement yesterday that 250 jobs from the ABC will go because of these ongoing funding cuts. Is there a political dimension to that story? Of course. As we know, the ABC is funded by the government. So, of course, the government are going to be under a little bit of pressure to fix this. Look, I don't think they will. The minister did come out yesterday. Uh, He has said that this is part of a sort of a five-year funding plan, that the board has independence to do what they want with the money we give them, and this is the decision they've made. So, look, it's pretty disappointing in the industry at the moment. News Corp have had job cuts. We've seen job cuts at Mm. BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed Australia has shut down, and now this is the latest in a string of, you know, really disappointing things that have happened to the media industry in Australia at the moment. 
Yeah, well, obviously lots of my personal friends will be really hurting after this announcement at the ABC, former colleagues, etc. But do you think because there's been so many job cuts in other parts of the media industry, there'll be less sympathy than there normally would be for those job losses? Look, I think people in Australia hate seeing job losses. I think that doesn't change once you get to government. But there is, uh, I guess, um, a lot of people hurting at the moment, so maybe it won't get the attention it perhaps would at other times. And there's more sobering COVID news on the international front. The WHO reckons will hit 10 million cases in the coming days, with 4 million recorded in just the last month. This is a sober reminder that even as we continue research into vaccines, we have an urgent responsibility to do everything we can to suppress transmission and save lives. That was the head of the World Health Organization there. Look, worryingly, the US has just had its highest daily case total in two months, with almost 35,000 cases. That's after numbers were trending down since April. Yeah, and Brazil's seeing around 50,000 cases a day, while second waves are coming through countries that thought they were on top of it. The only good news from that story is the death rate is going down, even though infections are still surging. Yeah, and here in Australia, Victoria had 20 cases yesterday. They also recorded another death, taking our toll to 102. That was the first death in just under a month. Now to the serious news we all need. Arnott's has weighed in on an online debate about how to pronounce the name of one of its favourite biscuits. Ooh, nice. It's actually pronounced nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. N-I-C-E, nice. 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 The biscuit, the, the niece, or spelt N-I-C-E, apparently some people must have been calling it the nice biscuit, Annika. I'm not sure who those people were. <laughs> I hope you weren't one of them. No, uh, I've always thought it was nice, as in the city in France, but um, good to have some clarity there, Tom. Yeah, Arnott's have come out, officially said that it is pronounced nice, like the French city, a bit of a, I guess, a, a sort of a step down from another French city up the road, Monte Carlo. Look, I'm not a fan of either of the biscuits, to be honest. And as, um, you know, <laughs> don't tend to speak about it a whole heap. But look, now that I have that clarity, I'm going to pronounce it all the time. It is nice. Yeah, so when you see it left stranded in the assorted <laughs> biscuits packet because no one wanted one, at least you'll know what to call it. All right, in just a moment, Jan Fran and Jamila will join you to look at gender equality in the workplace, why it's not just good for humanity, it's actually good for business. Well, Tom's out, but Jamila Risby is here stepping into the host chair again. Hello, Jan. Hi, Jan. Good to be back again. Today, we're going to do a bit of a briefing on a brand new report that makes the unequivocal business case for gender equality in Australia's top companies. Yeah, but before that, let's start with a statistic. This one's one of my favourites. In 2017, there were more men named John running ASX 200 companies in Australia than there were women. So in that year, there were 19 women in CEO positions or chairing boards compared with 32 men named John. Only you would have a favourite statistic, Jen. Love it. And I don't want other men, men with names that aren't John, to be jealous because you'll be happy to know the Davids and the Peters also got a Guernsey in the more likely to be a CEO than a woman category, highlighting just how dire the situation is for women in senior leadership or men with names that aren't straight out of the Bible. And of course, (laughs) that impacts on company culture too. I remember early in my time in banking, in the dealing room, women were confronted by a boozy boys' culture when they were given toys for Christmas. 
sex toys. Supposedly this was a joke, but actually it was about humiliation. And the behaviour of men in the dealing room was a metaphor for all that was wrong with corporate culture at that time. That there was Anne Sherry. Now she's the former head of Carnival Cruises Australia uh, with a delightful anecdote there. Now, in recent years, there has been a lot of conversation around women at work. We know that over a lifetime, women will earn 14% less on average than men. Uh, We know that women end up with less superannuation, multitude of reasons for that. And we know that while women make up half of the workforce, right, there are actually fewer women in leadership positions than men. You're exactly right, Jan. Hiring and promoting women is, of course, the right thing to do. But now this new data proves that it is also really good for companies' bottom lines. Yeah, so this is a report by Curtin University and the Workplace Gender Equality Agency. It shows the more women you have in leadership roles, the more productive and profitable a company will be. Libby Lyons is director of the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, otherwise known as WGIA, who are the co-authors of this report. Give us a top-line view here. What's your new report found? Well, this is actually world-leading research, which is fantastic because for the first time we have identified a compelling causal link between the increase in the share of women in leadership roles and improvements to the performance of organisations. So it's it's fantastic that we, for the first time ever we've been able to, to really identify that link. So can you give us an example of of how or why having more women in positions across the uh, the company might be profitable or might increase productivity? A couple of the findings are this. If you increase the share of, you know, senior female managers by just 10 percentage points or, or more, then you will get a 6.6% increase in the market value of your organisation. So we've proved that, that we've proved that for ASX listed companies, if you have a better share of female leaders, you will have a 6% increase in your market value. Now for the average company listed on the ASX, that equates to about $104.7 million. So for any leader running an organisation, this information is critical. So if more gender-balanced leadership means higher profits, why on earth aren't companies just doing it already? Well, that one's got me stumped too. I, I, I just don't know. I think it's a cultural problem. So for, you know, well over 100 years in Australia, we have all lived under this model where the male has been the breadwinner and the woman has been the homemaker. But the latest data tells us that in Australia today, 66% of all families have dual income earners in them. That means both parties are working. So those days of the male breadwinner are behind us but it takes our mindsets and our habits a bit longer to catch up with the reality. So do you think that having a woman as a CEO or having more women in the company in managerial positions, um, do do you think that that's sort of like a a novel thing and that's why it might be creating profits or increasing the market value of a company because it's something that's new and inventive and 
um, perhaps maybe in some ways pushing some boundaries? I think it does push boundaries, but I think also smart organisations have known for a long time because the business case actually has been really, really clear. Whilst we've established a causal link, there's been plenty of other research that suggested that this might be the case. So smart organisations have always known that gender equality or gender balance and diversity in general is really, really good for business. But it's not and you know that it's not just the right thing to do because again we're talking about 50% of the population here and the minute you exclude 50% of the population from your workforce you are excluding a huge talent pool so it actually is the smart thing to do but sadly it takes a long time for that message to get through and because we have um, a dominance of male leaders in our organisation, they are doing what many of us do, and that is they are hiring and they are choosing people and favouring people who look and sound like them, who are also probably educated like them. So therefore, we have a lot of white middle-aged men running our organisations. White middle-aged men named John, Peter or David, apparently. <laughs> yes. Very Those popular. predominate. Yep, absolutely. That was Libby Lyons, who's the director at Wajia, and she's right. Australia does have, like, a leading data set in this space, but it's going to take the next step to happen now, which is companies to actually see that these benefits are meaningful and understand them. Mm. But I think it's really important to recognise why we want women in those roles, not just for inclusion, not just because it's good for the bottom line, because it makes your company better and stronger if you've got a group of people around the board table who've had different life experiences, who bring different viewpoints. We all know groupthink doesn't help anyone. And I guess the question is how easy or difficult is it to actually make these changes from the inside? So Karen Longeren is the head of people and culture at the property development company Stockland. It's a massive company and it's done some pretty good work in improving the numbers of women at various levels. We'll give you the chance to brag right from the top. Let's hear the numbers. What has Stockland achieved on gender equality over the past five years? Well, we're really proud of, of, of our achievements at Stockland. We have been rated the sixth most gender equal company in the world. That's a bit of a mouthful. Um, effectively, what it means is we've achieved, by the numbers anyway, gender equality at each level in our organisation. We um, got there first at, at, um, at the board level. We were early adopters of, of having a gender equal board and that's really been one of the things that's helped us flow those numbers all through the organisation. So effectively what it means is at each level in the organisation we have at least 40% women. Do you think that's helped you bring people with you, Karen? Because often for organisations it can be really difficult to overcome resistance internally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I've certainly um, found that in um, in other places and, and earlier in, in my career. I think one of the things that's really helped us with that at Stockland, and I'm not pretending we're, we're perfect and, and we don't have any resistance to deal with, but the, the senior sponsorship definitely helps. But the other thing that's helped is we, um, 
have taken the approach with with a range of, of different opportunities at Stockland where we have employee um, uh, action groups as part of the solution. So having uh, a range of different people from all levels of the organisation working on developing new policies and processes and all of that. Um, so you've got men and women working together on this issue, I think has really helped make it feel mainstream rather than something that's being opposed, imposed from above. Karen, what's it been like for you personally working within the company? Have you seen a change from that kind of on the ground being an employee perspective? It was a real shock to actually for the first time be in a gender equal environment and it really does feel like it says it will on the tin, you know, it, it, it's a much better place to work for um, for a senior woman. Mm. And on the question of challenging areas, where do you think you still have to improve and how do you do it? Two things. We've got the women in now, which is great. We've got the right pipeline so that we'll continue to have women coming through, but we've got to continue to challenge ourselves on the inclusion front. There's no point having women in the room and, and then not listening to their voices or having you know, the broader societal barriers impacting on on their performance, you know, the, the structural and cultural barriers in Australian society are present in Stockland too, despite the fact that we've done, um, you know, really good work uh, to eliminate them. So it's making sure that we're listening to the, the voices that are there. And the second thing is we've got some pockets of, of quite technical skills where, you know, it, it's it's going all the way back to universities and, and schools and making sure that, that young Uh, girls and and young women see property as an attractive career path. Karen, thanks so much for your time this morning and congratulations again. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's it's very easy to talk about your business doing well when it does look very much like it is doing well on paper, but I think the point that Karen made there about inclusion is really important. So you can have a workforce of half, uh, made up half of women But if they're not included in the same ways that men are included, then that becomes problematic in and of itself as well. Yeah, there are challenges at every little age and stage of this process, right? Genuine gender equality requires us not just getting there on the numbers in Australia, but getting there on the culture, right? And there are some really big cultural shifts yet to happen in Australia. Yep. Get more men in the home, I say. Yes. Isn't that the Annabelle Crabb adage? We need more men at home and more women at work. We've done a good job of getting women into workplaces and even starting to get them into more senior positions. Not enough blokes hanging out at home doing the unpaid work. Start doing the ironing, men of Australia. I um, had better get going, Jan. I've got to talk to my husband. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, I better get out of here, go home and pick up the iron. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Jamila. That is it for the briefing today. Look forward to speaking to you tomorrow. A podcast one production.